0: Oklahoma's heading to the College World Series, and they're not done yet. We'll talk about that on today's episode of Locked On Sooners.
1: You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What's up Sooners Nation, welcome back to the Locked On Sooners podcast. My name is John Williams, you can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams, you can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Sooners, and on Facebook, Locked On Sooners podcast, and joining me as he does every day is Josh Helmer, you can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref, you can follow him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on the Ref in Norman 94.7, you can also hear it on the, the Ref app, or the Sports Talk app, or did you guys You got hear? it,
1: Yeah, you okay. got it. Search KREF uh, you in go. your app store, and you can catch Plank and myself or whoever else on the ref. Uh, there you go. That way they've, For free.
0: They've been going through some rebranding, and I haven't quite caught up to all of those things yet. So, Josh, uh, welcome, man. What a great weekend for Oklahoma. I mean, they go to Blacksburg, pick up the first win in the Super Regional against Virginia Tech, and, man, what a, what a great way to start that off. I mean, they, they kind of jumped out to a lead. Virginia Tech roared back made it a little bit closer of a game towards the end and you know Trevin Michael as he does all year just kind of slammed the door to pick up the first win in that in that series and man it, it really set the tone even though they dropped game two in that series I think most people thought well that was just kind of like that was the aberration right there not Oklahoma winning game one it was Virginia Tech erupting for that huge win in the second game of the series um, where really both the offenses were Put up a lot of runs, but Oklahoma just couldn't catch up from from a, a early deficit. So just give me some of your kind of takeaways from the weekend as Oklahoma does advance to the the College World Series now.
1: Well, first off, congratulations to Skip Johnson. Yeah. Congratulations to the entirety of his his staff and this Oklahoma baseball team for becoming the first group of Sooners to advance to Omaha since 2010. That's a Hefty little drought in there, a decade-long plus drought, and this group was able to get the job done. We said coming into this NCAA tournament that it looked like an Oklahoma team that was playing with its hair on fire, having won its final five series of the regular season and then going on to capture the Big 12 tournament. We thought they got snubbed to a large degree in terms of not being awarded as one of the regional hosts. As it turned out, I think this Oklahoma baseball team has been fueled by that. I think that they've really fed off the ability to go play on the road in the Gainesville Regional, in the Blacksburg Super Regional. And then the Blacksburg Blacksburg Super Regional just itself, you know, this time of year, Regional, Super Regional, now moving on to the College World Series, you really need your frontline starter especially to be great. To advance in the NCAA tournament, and Oklahoma certainly got that in its uh, opening super regional game with Jake Bennett throwing seven innings of one run ball, then uh, being able to being able to hang on one earned run for uh, Jake Bennett. Uh, they did play four against him, but he only allowed the one earned run. They, they got what needed the seven innings out of Jake Bennett. One then. Kate Horton has been tremendous for Oklahoma to close this season, coming off the injury that he's been dealing with. Feels like, looks like he's been rounding into form. And John just across the board, we can talk about Kendall Pettis, what he's been doing throughout this postseason push for Oklahoma. Peyton Graham, to me, has been an absolute star in Treadaway. I mean, my goodness, in the super regional clincher. Are you kidding me? Four for five three ribbies three runs scored he was incredible
0: yeah and the two home runs and they really you know set the tone early in that clincher where they jump out with two home runs in the first inning uh you know virginia tech comes back and ties it but oklahoma responded as soon as oklahoma or as the hokies got two on the board to tie it two two in the next at bat for oklahoma they put three on the board and you just kind of you start to think like okay They've got this one. They're, they're going to head in the right way. Cade Horton's going to settle down, which he did. You know, Only allowed two more base runners the rest of his appearance in that game. And then the bullpen between Chaz Martinez and Trevin Michael were absolutely fantastic. And that was kind of one of the question marks for a lot of this season. And they really settled in as they went down the stretch. You know, They, they closed the season with five straight series wins, the Big 12 tournament title. And the bullpen's been pretty good the rest of the way and and that's really you mentioned it the frontline starters have to be good jake bennett Cade horton were both really good in this series and then the bullpen has been really solid as well but the lineup man they continue to impress you know this is a team that i think eddie Radosovich had it where they had been averaging nine runs per game uh during their run over the last couple of months and that to me is just absolutely mind-boggling now we see we see big scores in college baseball we saw it in the stillwater regional in particular but this team continues to put offense on the board. And if they can get timely pitching like they've been getting, I think it's going to give them a chance to really go a long way. Right now, they're sitting at plus seven hundred uh, with betonline.net. And uh, man, if you're a gambler and you like to you like to put some money on things, like those plus seven hundred odds, those look really good. Like those are the second lowest odds among the eight college world series participants. And I mean the risk reward there is
1: pretty nice. It is. It feels like an Oklahoma team that you're getting some value with uh, seven to one odds plus seven hundred right there. You mentioned the offense. You know, five runs in that first game of the super regional. You feel like if you get, especially you know, for example, on a Friday night starting outing for Jake Bennett, five runs should probably win you that ball game every time, right? Eight runs in the second game. Obviously, we know it wasn't the perfect start for Sandlin and the bullpen. That was the one game of these three in the super regional where, where they really struggled against the Hokies eight runs there though. Offense great in that game. And then 11 to end this super regional, they are really, really swinging the bats. Well, and it was just kind of more of what we saw carrying over again from the Gainesville regional. And then just this close to the season. So, you know, if you asked me to pick who's winning the college world series, you know, maybe you go with the team that comes in with the highest seed in Stanford, but I like OU's chances. I like the way that they're playing right now. I love the belief in the swagger that they enter Omaha with. And really in Omaha at the college world series, John, you know, I, I I'd have to go back and look at the full list of national champions, but this is not like what Oklahoma softball has done the last two years as the number one overall seed. Number one overall seed rarely wins this thing. Number two overall seed rarely goes to Omaha and wins this thing. So it's really going to be about who's clicking right now at the right time. And Oklahoma's one of the teams. That's why they're here in Omaha. They're clicking at the right time. So, man, uh, you know, I, like I said, it's hard for me to just go out on a limb and say absolutely, hands down, Oklahoma's winning this College World Series. But I think they got a good chance to get to the championship series and play for a national championship.
0: They seem to have about as good a shot as anybody. Like this is one of those, you throw all the names in the hat and you can pull out two names and probably be just as accurate as actually looking at these teams and then trying to determine who's going to advance to the championship series because they've all played really good baseball throughout this tournament. And Oklahoma, even though they're one of the lower seeds remaining, they've played as good as anybody. And so I feel like they've got just as good a shot at winning the whole thing. And hey, just like they did in Major League, just go win the whole effing thing. Like, why not? And here I am the guy two months ago, you know, when we're talking about Oklahoma's chances to advance, I was like, nah, they, you know, they just don't have, they don't have the pitching depth. And that's, that's really come alive since then. And so they've proved me wrong and I'm more than happy to admit that, but you mentioned softball and man, this team just continues to reload. Like this is not a team that's going to slow down anytime soon. They add Alex DiRocco, the Michigan, Michigan grad transfer pitcher, Uh, to the 2023 roster. She'll be transferring to Oklahoma, and she comes in with 300 strikeouts from the 2022 season with with 25 wins, had a 1.76 ERA, I believe, and uh, was just fantastic for Michigan uh, as they made the NCAA tournament. Uh, Career wins, 69. Innings pitched, 563. A career earned run average of 1.71. Strikeouts, 901 in her career, including the 300 which was sixth in the nation in 2022. And then um, she had nine shutouts last year that was tied for 10th and then 18 complete games. Uh, her batting average allowed one point or sorry, 0.164. Um, you know, you're looking at her. If there's an area where she can improve, it's on home runs allowed. Uh, she did allow 22 on the season. And for reference sake, the Oklahoma pitching staff trio of Jordy ball, hope trout wine and Nicole may only allowed 15 last year. So looking at her, I look at her a little bit like Hope Troutwine in that maybe not having to have the big workload, being the ace of a staff, maybe you bring her back to you know 150 innings, 160 innings. She's not overworked. Maybe she throws better. So what do you think about the addition? I mean, what does it say about Oklahoma softball?
1: Well, it's a big time addition for OU it is. And Oklahoma's not just, going and adding experience to, you know, for the sake of adding experience. No, they're going out and getting someone out of the transfer portal or out of the the grad transfer situation here that they feel can absolutely come in and help them potentially three-peat as a national champion. So she's got all of the experience, plenty of accolades to her name. I agree with what you were alluding to there, that Jordy Ball – back fully healthy going into next season, she'll be the ace of this Sooner staff. And that's only going to help Starocko here in Norman lower workload. And John, just listening to some of the numbers you shared there, if she has the home runs allowed in half, which working with Jen Rocha and with Patty Gasso and this Oklahoma staff is completely feasible that we can see that number really, really diminish for her we're talking about potentially another Oklahoma arm that has a sub 1.0 ERA, which, you know, for a large portion of last season, we saw Oklahoma with three such arms of that variety. So it's a big time get for OU Oklahoma. Let's call Oklahoma softball. What it is. It's the Alabama football of softball. This is the place you go after you're an established star to come get, to come get rings, And I think that's obviously the case right here. She saw an opportunity, a great fit to come in and compete for a national championship. And Oklahoma saw someone that can help them remain on on top of the sport.
0: And I think it's huge just for also Jordy Ball. I mean, we expect her to come in and be the number one starter for them next year. But now you don't have to overwork her either. Now you've got two pitchers who can throw 200 innings if you need them to and win you a lot of games. And, I mean, that you talked about the home runs. Like, she still had a 1.7 ERA. Like, that's pretty salty, even if you did give up 22 home runs, you know, a few more walks than what you might have liked. But, I mean, she's she's going to be a great addition for the Oklahoma Sooners next year. And now you have a, a staff that's got Jordy Ball, Alex Taracco, Nicole May, who was really good for a lot of the year and, and had a little bit of up and down during the NCAA tournament, was excellent out of the bullpen uh, for the Sooners. And then you have the number one pitcher in the 2022 recruiting class, in Kirsten Deal. So that's just phenomenal. And again, a credit to Patty Gasso and her and her coaching staff that they continue to add the talent that they add. And uh, like you mentioned, Oklahoma's chasing rings, and that's what people want to be a part of is, is contending. And they're going to be right back at it next year. Coming up, we're going to talk about what position group is the best position group for the Oklahoma Sooners heading into 2022. I asked this question on Twitter and it seemed pretty unanimous. Josh has an idea. I've got an idea and we'll talk about it after I talk to you about Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. Find the latest developments, news, and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup, the NHL uh, Stanley Cup finals, Major League Baseball, and of course, all of the latest fighting news in the MMA and UFC worlds. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline is where the game starts. And today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. Go to BetOnline.net and get in on all the action. Make sure you're to throw down that money on that plus 700 for Oklahoma because that's, again, that's a really interesting line for the College World Series. Hey, and also go check out the NBA Mock Draft that's going to be starting on June 16th with over 50 insiders. Nothing equals the ultimate NBA Mock Draft. The Locked On NBA Big Board Draft Experts plus the Odyssey Insiders. First pick is June 16th. Search Ultimate NBA Mock Draft and follow now so you don't miss a pick. All right, Josh. We talked about this a little bit on the Locked On Big 12 Roundtable. What was the what were some of the best position groups in the Big 12 for 2022? Um, and I had my answer I said the defensive line. Now, this is probably going to be a hot take because a lot of it's unproven. The only guy that we have coming back that has much significant playing time is Jalen Redmond. They added Jeffrey Johnson in the transfer portal, but the rest of it is kind of guys we're projecting to have good seasons based on some limited, uh, some limited tape. The Oregon game, the spring game, again, which you can take a little bit with a grain of salt, but the Oregon game combined with the spring game has me really excited for the trio of defensive end pass rushers in Marcus Stripling, Ethan Downs, and Reggie Grimes. I know I'm out on a limb here, but is it crazy? I think the defensive line might be the best position group for the Oklahoma Sooners.
1: No, I don't think it's crazy. And just for starters, as far as best position group for Oklahoma, it's a different feel this 2022 offseason, I think, than it was this time a year ago in 2021. It was clear, it was defined. Defensive line was Oklahoma's top top group last offseason, right? You, you looked at Nick Benito and you thought about Jalen Redmond and Isaiah Thomas and Perrion Winfrey. That was pretty clear cut, to me, the best position group going into last season on paper for Oklahoma. This offseason, it's a foggier picture for which position group is the best for Oklahoma. We've seen plenty of departures for the Oklahoma Sooners. We've seen some arrivals out of the transfer portal for the Oklahoma Sooners. I don't think you're crazy to say defensive line. I think they've got a bona fide star in Jalen Redman, though not that I'm cautioning anybody, but as you and I have discussed and I've mentioned in the past, With Jalen Redmond, okay, now it's double team city at times if these other guys around you don't elevate their games. If Jeffrey Johnson coming over from Tulane isn't what everybody's hoping or expecting Jeffrey Johnson can be at Oklahoma, if Jonah Laula can't duplicate or build upon what he's done in the past at Hawaii, okay, well, again, Jalen Redmond, you are now the Nick Benito. You are now the Perrion Winfrey, the Isaiah Thomas. You are getting all of the attention. So I think that's an important factor to watch for Oklahoma. But generally speaking, you start with Jalen Redman, right? And then Marcus Stripling, I think, showed us, yes, some serious signs in the Valero Alamo Bowl that he's ready for a breakout-type season at Oklahoma. Ethan Downs, another guy that's – perhaps set to come of age. And then the transfer portal additions that I mentioned, I think could be really, really good players for Oklahoma. And that hasn't even mentioned Reggie Grimes yet. So I would probably lean just based on what I know going into 2022. I feel like the frontline starters for me at wide receiver, I know more about, but Again, there's question marks there in terms of the depth. So it's with Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss and what we saw from Jaleel Farouk, I think that has a chance if Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson are able to contribute straight away for us by season's end to say, what the heck were we worried about with wide receiver?
0: You know, and you throw in the addition of LV Bunkley Shelton from Arizona State, who was a great slot player for them. And it's it's a pretty good group itself. I don't know why. I just, I, I'm kind of more in this i don't i don't know why i'm in approve prove it mode a little bit with the wide receivers because last year i was expecting big big seasons from them and they kind of let me down but we like you said we know a lot more about marvin mims and theo weiss we know what to expect with those guys because they've done it now for a couple of years you know theo weiss was injured last year but two years ago he led the sooners in receptions marvin mims has led the team in receiving yards each of the last two years so we i think we know what to expect out of that group uh but maybe you're right a little bit of a question mark with the depth at wide receiver. But again, the frontline starters are pretty good. I I don't know why I just really, really high on the defensive line group and that could fall flat on its face. And I'm sure people will be more than happy to remind me of that down the road, but I'm it's Marcus stripling. I I think he's a dude, like you mentioned, that's ready for a breakout and Ethan downs is the guy that you look at Oklahoma media members and circles. They're the guy that he's the guy that everybody's pumping and expecting to have a big time season. Uh, in 2022 i asked this question on twitter over at locked on sooner's twitter account follow it on twitter at locked on sooner's so that you can interact with us on the show over there as well and pretty much unanimously josh the answer was linebacker now this is interesting to me because brian Osamoa, he's out the door you know david Devon uh deshaun white they they kind of rotated snaps there at linebacker and i mean Neither one, in my opinion, have really asserted themselves as like stars in the making. And then there's Danny Stutzman, who many believe is going to be a star. But again, we didn't just get to see enough of him last year. And I know I'm, I'm projecting out for the defensive end group, and I probably should do – I could do the same thing for the linebacker group. But maybe there's just a little bit more uncertainty there. Is, is, where, do you, where do you land on that
1: with the linebacker group? I think it's got great upside, great potential – it would not be my choice for best position group going into 2022. I, I really – I think it's a huge move for Oklahoma that Deshaun White decided to come back for one more year. That offers them some serious stability there. David Guebu, we're kind of waiting on him maybe to emerge and take that next step, and maybe that's exactly what happens now that Brian Osamoa has moved on to the National Football League. To me, this feels like buying in. And and I'm not saying you're totally wrong. I just – I need to see a little bit more here before I believe it from Danny Stutzman. I mean, some of these young signees, right, is Jaron Kanick. Is he going to be somebody in year one? We know that physically he's a freak coming into Oklahoma. But mentally, is he able to get onto the field and log snaps and be a serious factor for OU? What about Kobe McKenzie? What about Kip Lewis? Like, if you could tell me right now that those three guys are ready to go and Danny Stutzman takes this massive leap in his second year on campus, then, okay, I'm ready to to go that direction and I can see where you're coming from. I'm just a little bit more wait and see with linebacker. Though I'm very optimistic about the potential and the upside of that group.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a group, both defensive line and linebacker, that's going to benefit greatly. From Brent Venables' defensive scheme, Ted Roof as well. And and we haven't even mentioned TD Roof. Like, that was a really underrated transfer edition uh, for the Oklahoma Sooners. A guy that has a lot of experience is going to be able to help that group a lot as well. I think what they're going to be doing, the way that Brent Venables wants to play on defense, you know, fast, attacking, aggressive, relentless, suffocating. I think that's going to help both, you know, everybody in the front seven. And I think that that might be why, like a lot of people are expecting linebacker myself. I'm expecting the defensive line because Brent Venables has done nothing but have great defensive line play over the last 10 years at Clemson and then even time before that at Oklahoma. And so this is a a unit that I'm excited to see in an aggressive attacking style of scheme because I think it's going to help everybody get to the backfield, get to the quarterback, get to the running back and create splash plays a lot more. Anybody else you want to throw? Go ahead, Josh.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the interesting dovetail from this conversation that we should dive into later this week is, okay, so you've got your position groups that you think maybe is the best, or these are the couple of best position groups for Oklahoma going into 2022. Which position group are people sleeping on that they need to Need a little prodding, need a little waking up. Which which position group for Oklahoma has the chance to really surprise some people in 2022? Is it that defensive backfield with Key Lawrence one more year older, right? One more year into the system. Some tutelage from some different defensive backs coaches now at Oklahoma with Brent Venables here at Oklahoma. What about running back? You're replacing Kennedy Brooks, but uh, there's some serious young talent coming eric gray a marcus major the types of contributions they could those three position groups i don't think most anybody would necessarily say is the best position group for oklahoma going into 2022 but i think they're all three interesting case studies for okay what's the floor with those groups and what potentially is the ceiling
0: yeah it's it's a really interesting team because there's a lot of like intriguing talent there's a lot of you know guys we want to see on the field that have the potential to be great it's just we're we're kind of itching or chomping at the bit a little bit to see that because we we're still with quite a few unproven players and that's okay like every team turns over part of their roster every year and you have to rely on the next man up philosophy but I think we're just kind of all eager to see it we're now less than three months away from the opener which is going to be interesting because one of the keys to the Oklahoma Sooners offense in 2022 is improving upon something that was a weakness in 2021 and we'll talk about it after the break and make sure again you go check out the locked on nba draft and the ultimate nba mock draft that starts on june 16th hey if you're a fan of Locked On Sooners, make sure you go check out one of the other great Locked On podcasts. Whether it's one of my favorites, the Locked On Cowboys covering the Dallas Cowboys, or check out our guy Ryland Styles over at the Locked On Thunder podcast as well. Great content there. Again, the the Thunder getting ready for the draft, which is a big time season uh, for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And Sam Presty, who's just collecting draft picks like I do in fantasy football. So go check that out on the Locked on Thunder podcast with the phenomenal Ryland Styles. All right, Josh. College Football News came out with their Oklahoma Sooners preview. Go check that out at collegefootballnews.com. But they came up with a couple keys, on one on offense, one on defense. And we're going to talk about the defensive one a little bit later this week. But we're going to talk about the offensive side of the football because that was an issue last year. As good as they were at times on offense, in the two losses, the offense was – Incredibly inconsistent in one particular area, and that was on third
1: down. They were, yeah. You, you look at the Baylor loss and the Oklahoma State loss, and OU just simply was not good in that category. Let me pull up this exact number for you. You, you see, nationally, Oklahoma, you know, was okay looking at the final statistics. They were number 44 nationally in third down conversion percentage at, uh, a 42.6 conversion rate. Okay, that's not that's not great. That's not the best Oklahoma offenses that we've seen, John, that particular percentage. But this number, when you think about the Baylor and Oklahoma State third down uh, conversion numbers, seven of 37 on third down in Yikes. those two games. Not going to win a lot of Big 12 championships or play for Big 12 championships or make college football playoff appearances when you're converting – seven of 37.
0: Yeah. And I think some of that might be a little bit of a symptom of what happened last year with, you know, the offensive line may not have played up to expectations. Uh, The quarterbacks were holding the ball at times far too long. And especially, you know, Caleb Williams in the Oklahoma state, the Baylor game, you know, just trying to make too much happen down the field and not just taking simple things in the, in the short area passing game. One thing I love about the Jeff Levy hire and the Dylan Gabriel addition is that, It's a quick strike passing game. They're going to look to work the short to intermediate parts of the field. And when you're efficient as a, as a passing offense, you get to avoid third down. And the best way to continue keeping drives alive is to avoid third down at all costs. You pick up first downs on first and second down. Don't even put your, your offense in a position where they have to convert on third down. Don't put yourself in a position where you're having, you know, second and 10, third and seven or more. Because it's going to be really, really difficult to convert, um, and so I, I think it's going to be better. Now, will it be? We got to see it, but I think it's going to be much more efficient on offense because we know Jeff Levy w- wants to run a lot of plays. And even if he does get the third down, I think he's going to have them in much better third down situations where it's more third and threes, third and fours, and that can also help set up fourth down attempts. You know, if you're if you're at third and seven, you don't you don't convert. Well, you got to punt if you're at fourth and four or third and four, and maybe you just pick up two yards when I got fourth and two. Well, that's a go for it in a lot of situations. So I think it's going to be a much more efficient offense and, and they're going to run up, run a lot of plays. And I think it's going to put them in better position to convert on third down because they're not always going to be looking for the deep strike, not always going to be looking for the big play. They're going to take
1: a lot more of what the defense gives them. It would be really interesting to – and maybe we need to deep dive these numbers at some point before we kick the 2022 season off. It would be interesting to see just all of Oklahoma's offensive numbers if you take the second half of the Texas game out and you take out the Texas Tech and the TCU performance. I get it. Those were, what, two full games in two quarters? You can't really – you can't really just totally take them away but it does feel like an Oklahoma offense a year ago that was wildly inconsistent for the most part think about really the first half against Kansas the two really well the three really good defenses Oklahoma faced late in the season you got beat by two of them in Baylor and Oklahoma state and Iowa state you know gave you gave you some fits here and there So Oklahoma, in general, the best thing that can happen to them, shifting over to Jeff Levy taking over as offensive coordinator, is for the offensive line to take a step forward, to put them in those third and short situations that you were talking about, John, and for running back to be a – if you're down on the running backs or you're just not totally sold yet, which it sounds like there's a lot of people out there that maybe fall under that umbrella, then running back to be a surprise for Oklahoma, for Eric Gray to be who we thought maybe he could be coming over from Tennessee, for Marcus Major to take that next step and not just be the guy that comes in in some spot duty here and there, and then for the two freshmen, either one, right, either one of the two freshmen to come in and be an immediate impact guy.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think the running back situation is going to be pretty good. Um, so I did the math really quick while you were talking on Oklahoma's offensive production. You take out – so I took out the Tulane game because it's non-Power 5. I took out the Western Carolina game because you should run up and down the field with against a, guy, a team like Western Carolina. Uh, and so I just included the games against the Power 5 and took away the Texas Tech, the TCU, and the Texas games. Uh, and yes, those were great games. They put on great offensive performances. But in their other eight games, they only averaged 29 points per game. Now, again, this is a really superficial look at it, really quick off the top. But 29 points per game. This is an offense that, um, you know, their total numbers, they were up over 40. But you take away, you know, the Tulane game where they scored 40, the Western Carolina game where they scored 76, and then the Texas game where they had that incredible comeback against a team that lost to Kansas later in the season, uh, against Texas Tech, where they had a big, big win. And then against TCU, the rest of the season, I mean, you're looking at 16 points to West Virginia. You're looking at, 23 to Nebraska. Uh, you scored 37 against Kansas State. That's a really good team. But then you know you struggled for a half against Kansas. Got shut out in the first half, and then you put up 35 points. And then you only scored 14 against Baylor. And then yeah, you scored 33 against Oklahoma State, but you were shut out in the second half for the most part. So yeah, this was a team offensively that was wildly inconsistent. Um, with a guy who was billed as the greatest offensive line in college football and couldn't figure out a way to be more inconsistent with that team and with five-star quarterbacks, with five-star, four-star wide receivers and an offensive line that, I mean, it might not have been the best offensive line Oklahoma's ever produced, but it wasn't terrible. I think a lot of times that offensive line gets a lot of crap, but some of it wasn't on them. There were some things that were going on on offense that weren't completely on them. And you know, they'll never say that. They'll they'll take they'll take the blame for some poor performances. But some of it was quarterbacks holding the ball too long and some inconsistent play calling that I don't think really try to take advantage of what Oklahoma did well because we saw it against Kansas State. Spencer Rattler was efficient. They were getting the ball out of his hand quick, you know, short strikes, and then taking their shots down the field minimally. They were using the short passing game to set up the deep shot. But they were efficient, and they were moving the football. They were having these long drives, and it was working. And then seemingly just kind of went away from that the rest of the year, trying to hit the big play, the big play, the big play. And that's what led to a lot of the inconsistency. Because when they went to an efficient passing attack and tried to just take what the defense was giving them in the short area of the field, because they didn't want to get beat, they, were, they seemed like really reluctant
1: to do that. So what did you say again was the number if you took those those games out? what was the points per game average 29 points per game which would have ranked 61st you, you we get you can't live in that world where all of a sudden you're removing a couple of the best performances of the season. but just for you know comparison's sake if you take away some of those and you look at kind of the the rest of what the consistency across the board looks like. Ohio State, nationally, the leader in points per game, 45.7. And Alabama would have been right at 39.9. So it gives you an indication of how far off Oklahoma would have been from those two's pace. If again, you kind of take away some of what wound up being Oklahoma's Really good performances against Texas Tech and TCU, and then really primarily that second half against Texas. Oh, you finished, John, as the number eight scoring offense, averaging 39.1 points per game. But they have got to be more consistent this season. And hopefully, that's what we see with Jeff Levy and with Dylan Gabriel. And this Oklahoma team is week to week more consistent across the board.
0: So you mentioned Ohio State and Alabama, and we'll close with this. But Ohio State, they didn't score under 27 points. Sorry, under 26 points the entire season. Um, the, their lowest point total was against Nebraska, uh, 26 points. But they only had three games where they scored fewer than 30 points on the season. You look at Alabama, their lowest point output was in the SEC, or sorry, the, the national championship game against arguably the greatest defense we've, we've seen in, in a while. And that was 18 to Georgia. Uh, they got held to 20 by LSU, which, you know, LSU plays them tough. Um, and then. Iron uh, Bull, they weren't all that great. Yeah, they they scored 24, but that was a, an overtime game. Um, and so, you know, like they weren't great, but they scored more than 20 every every game except for one. And that was against Georgia in the national championship game. So, like, they're not getting held. They're not getting shut out against Vanderbilt for a half. You know what I mean? Like. Or, or if you're Ohio State, you're not getting shut out for a half against Northwestern. Um, and so that's kind of where we were living last year where you can only put up 16 against West Virginia. You get shut out for a half against uh, Kansas. You struggle for the first half against Texas. You struggle in the second half against Oklahoma State. Like, that's not what Oklahoma offense had been in years prior until last season. And we can put it all on one offensive you know, position group, But I don't think that's fair because it was a a total breakdown in inconsistency. And your offensive-minded coach, who was supposedly a genius, couldn't figure out how to best utilize his talent to help solve some of the inconsistency issues, except just say we're close. So not to get on that soapbox because everybody else wants to talk about it, but we'll probably need to talk about it at some point in, in the coming week, but... Yeah, and that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Again, thanks so much for tuning in, subscribing wherever you get your podcasts and over on the YouTube channel. We're just 250 subscribers away from 2,000. Help us to reach our goal on the YouTube channel by the start of the college football season. We'd love to get to 2,000 by then. Make sure you share it with a friend, a family member, or on your Facebook page. We love interacting with the folks on Facebook as well, so make sure you do that. Make sure you go listen to our, our shows from last week where we had Jackson Arnold on the show. We had uh, Senator Joshua Bates was fantastic. And we talked about Oklahoma's softball national championship. It was, a, it was a great conversation. We loved it and are looking forward to another great softball season next year. Looking forward to covering the College World Series this week as Oklahoma makes their run to a national championship. But until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll see you then. Boomer sooner.